You are listening to the podcast of the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. CBMW exists to promote the Bible's teaching on men, women, and marriage. Learn more at cbmw.org. The Nashville Statement is a confessional document released by CBMW in 2017. Since its release, the Nashville Statement has been signed by over 25,000 evangelical pastors, scholars, and leaders, as well as adopted and affirmed by evangelical churches and institutions across the world. In this podcast series, we are walking through each of the 14 articles of the Nashville Statement as we discuss the statement's biblical basis and ethical implications with Denny Burke, president of CBMW and one of the principal authors of the statement. Today, we are tackling Article 11. I'm Colin Smothers, executive director of CBMW. And my name is Denny Burke. I'm the president of CBMW. Here's what Article 11 of the Nashville Statement says. We affirm our duty to speak the truth in love at all times, including when we speak to or about one another as male or female. And we deny any obligation to speak in such ways that dishonor God's design of his image bearers as male and female. Denny, it sounds like this article is about the pronoun question. Can you expound on it a bit? It addresses directly the pronoun question, but listeners will recognize that we phrased it kind of differently. Um, we, we don't ever say the word pronoun. We don't mention the word pronouns because the, the way that we drafted this was so that people could see what biblical and theological issues were at stake and could make the appropriate applications, not only to the pronoun question, but to anything that may come up in terms of how we speak about being male and female. So it directly applies to the pronoun question, and I think we'll, we'll take some time here to apply it to that. But you, you'll notice that it says in in the the affirmation, uh, we affirm our duty to speak the truth in love at all times. Well, what we're doing right there is just affirming Ephesians 4.15, which says um, that we are to be speaking the truth in love. And what we're doing here is, though, it says in Article 11, we affirm our duty to speak the truth in love at all times, including when we speak to or speak to or about one another as male or female. So we're taking the biblical principle, speaking the truth. We have an that's an obligation that um, is on every single Christian, and we're saying, okay, this has to characterize how we speak about male and female, either to or about one another. And then the denial is based right on it. We deny any obligation to speak in such ways that dishonor God's design of His image bearers as male and female. So you can see how. The articulation of this is trying to state the biblical principle, which is we have an obligation to speak the truth. We're not supposed to lie. Um, we don't indulge fictions that are destructive. Uh, but we're supposed to be um, spreading light in the world, right? And we can't be salt and light if we're hiding the light under a bushel. And um, in this case, we'd just be not speaking what we know to be true. So that's where we were coming from on this, was we're, we're trying to say, what's the, the biblical principle, and then applying it to how we speak about male and female. It seems like in today's atmosphere, though, you know, going back to that biblical principle, Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love, what we're presented is the false choice that you either have to speak truthfully or you have to speak lovingly. Um, how can our listeners better uh, appropriate this truth, Ephesians 4.15, in their lives? How do we speak the truth in love? Is that possible? Absolutely. I mean, we just have to realize, first of all, that the truth is good for us. You know, even when the truth is is confrontational to us at times, uh, 
the truth is always good for us and and lies don't help us at all they actually hurt us over the long haul that's why you'll you'll see in texts like 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 6 it says love rejoices in the truth right so love bears all things hopes all things you know, love does all these wonderful things but it also always rejoices in the truth which means if you really love somebody you're going to be telling the truth if you love me you're going to be telling me the truth if I love you, I'm going to be telling you the truth. I'm not going to be telling you lies. And, and the problem that we have in our culture today is that a lot of people are just defining love as unconditional affirmation. And if you're defining love as unconditional affirmation, that means no matter what a person is doing or saying, you have to affirm that, even if what they're doing and saying is an error and wrong and self-destructive, you just have to affirm it. And so what Christianity has always said, you know, long before anybody was talking about gay marriage or transgenderism, we've always said, well, that's not true. Um, what's right is if we rejoice in the truth and we, so we speak the truth in love to one another. So uh, that certainly applies uh, just to the Christian life in general, but it also applies to the way we talk about each other as male and female. And so it's directly going to address the pronoun question. Which brings us to that issue in particular. How are we supposed to think about this? Well, I think there's two issues here when we think about um, the, the transgender phenomenon and now how people are arriving at new speech codes when it comes to speaking about male or female. The two issues are the pronoun question and then the naming question. So you've got transgender pronouns and then you've got transgender naming. And this is becoming an issue not because everybody's got a you know, a gender-confused person maybe in their own family or their own life, it's becoming an issue because they've got an HR department at work that's now saying you got to put pronouns in your email or um, so-and-so over here in acquisitions is, you know, identifying as female even though they're biologically a male and now they're saying everybody's got to refer to this person in a certain way. And so the a lot of Christians are just facing this. It, it's It's they're in a defensive posture. They're not trying to culture war on this. They're just trying to go to work peacefully and, you know, not get fired. <laughs> um, you know, so, so that's where a lot of Christians are wrestling with this right now. Now there are a lot of other Christians though, who are, they do have somebody in their family and they're trying to figure out how to navigate this. And so the, it's a, it's a very salient question. So what does it mean then to be a faithful Christian follower of Christ when it comes to um, transgender pronouns, transgender naming. So I, I have two texts that I always go to on this. The first one's the one that we've already mentioned, which is Ephesians 4.15. Speak the truth in love. We do have a duty to speak the truth, which means we, we don't have an authorization from the Lord to indulge destructive fictions that people are imposing on us right now. So if there is uh, a man who was wanting to identify as a woman, and then he's, you know, insisting that everyone around him adjust their speech to match his fiction rather than to match the truth. Christians have to be resistant to that. Um, we can't just adopt pronouns that we know are pointing to and dishonor, pointing to things that aren't true and that dishonor the realities as God has created it. So. You know, I think Christians should be, for that reason, pretty hardcore on these pronouns in, in that we 
we are resisting them. We just don't, don't use them. In many ways, I think the pronoun question, it's the leading edge of the ideological capture of the transgenderism. So, you know, using the pronouns is almost a tacit affirmation of the whole transgender program. We're talking about surgeries and um, cross-hormone therapies, all of those things. And so this is one way that Christians would be participating in that ideology if you were to use the pronouns. Is that correct? Well, yeah, all of those, you know, body-destroying things that you mentioned are a consequence of this ideology. And if the one place where the ideology is pushing into your space, you give up that ground, well, that's not helping anybody. And it's certainly not helping the person that, you know, is, is wanting to use the pronouns. So now having said that, that doesn't mean that you have to be a jerk about it. It doesn't mean that you have to run around with a chip on your shoulder about it. Um, it does mean though, that you don't, you shouldn't just give into this, um, ideological imposition one, especially that's undermining faithfulness to Christ. So I think, you know, the, the biblical principle reflected in Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love, means that we don't use pronouns. Now, having said that, there's another text, too, that I think is also relevant here, and it's from Romans 12, where Paul says, If possible, as far as it's up to you, be at peace with all men. Which is Paul's way of saying, look, you're going to have to be living in the world with a lot of people who don't share your values, who don't share the, you know, your point of view on Jesus is Lord. Okay. And so you're going to have to live in and amongst these people. What does that mean to be a Christian and in, in amongst people who are not Christians and who may be antagonistic towards Christianity? Paul's saying, if possible, as far as it's up to you, be at peace with all men. Meaning, um, as far as, as much as you can, even though you don't share the same worldview, you don't share the same deepest gospel commitments, try to be at peace with, with everybody. And so the way that I think about that in terms of the pronoun question is that, is that you just remember if, if you're going to work, you don't have, you know, every conflict that you can have is not a conflict that you necessarily must have. So in other words, I, I don't think it's necessary that you go around and just like pick a fight over this in, in your place of work, for example. So it, when it comes to pronouns, really the issue is not so much when you're talking to someone, but when you're talking about them. So if you're talking to someone who's trying to identify a transgender and you're at work, you know, you'll say me, you'll say you, but those aren't gendered pronouns. It's when you're talking about that person to colleagues or coworkers where it comes up. And I think Christians are just, I think they have the freedom if they want to not pursue the conflict in a given situation, just to use the person's name instead of the pronoun, um, just to, to avoid the, the, the conflict. Now, I'm not saying that that strategy will work all the time, but it might. And so you don't have to walk around with a culture warring chip on your shoulder you know, trying to transform, you know, the the office through using the wrong pronouns. Um, but I am saying that you can, as far as it's up to you, if possible, try to be at peace with all men. But you don't use the pronouns, okay? You might do some pronoun avoidance here and there, but you just don't use the pronouns. Now, having said that, that does bring up the question of transgender naming, because if you're going to use their name, what if they've got another name? Well, that one's different than the pronouns for me, because... Sometimes the only name that you know is the name that somebody tells you. 
And there's nothing else for you to go by except for what they, they tell you. And so you may not have another alternative and it may be their legal name. So for me, it's a little hard to draw a, a firm line on the transgender naming, but for, for that reason, but the pronouns to me seem, seem pretty clear. Now, caveat on this, your relationship to someone, how close you are to someone, I think is also going to dictate the degree to which you may have a moral obligation to let the conflict happen. So it's one thing if you've got a coworker, you don't know them very well, you just see them in the office and you've got to sort of, you know, get the job done every day without having a big explosion. It's another thing if say you've got a brother, sister, close friend, a church member that you've known for a while and now they're trying to transition and get everybody to adjust their speech codes. In that situation, I'm going to feel the closer I am to the person, the more I'm going to feel the because of the moral proximity, I'm going to f- feel I need to let the conflict happen. And even in that situation, I'll probably re- not only re- resist the pronouns, but probably resist the name and, you know, try to bring a constructive confrontation there in the hopes that through the relationship, some, some change can come about. So bottom line for me and the way that I apply what I think the Bible says and what we're trying to reflect in the Nashville statement is always speak the truth, which means you don't use pronouns and you do the best you can with the names that you're given. And if somebody's close to you, you're probably going to need to let the conflict happen and, um, and then pray for the Lord's help when that does happen. You know, one way I, I think I've seen this issue sort of accelerate even since 2017 when the national statement was released is it's not just a conflict over whether Christians are going to use, you know, a transgender pronoun. Um, and I think that, you know, this statement speaks clearly to that. But also the question of, are you personally going to run around with your preferred pronouns on your sleeve as if your biology is just a preference, right? Um, so, I, you know, taking a step back, uh, philosophically speaking about this issue, when we treat our, our pronouns as if they're a preference, um, we're, kind of, uh, we're, we're kind of going against God's design in our very biology. It's kind of like that phrase, sex assigned at birth. As if you know what's happening, you know at at birth is just a recognition or a or an assignment rather from the doctor that this this is going to be a boy until maybe later on. Um, that's kind of what we're doing with preferred pronouns, as if my biology is a is a preference. Yeah, and I would argue there too. I would resist that as well. You know, um, my wife recently was I think it was a doctor's office or something, and she was having to fill out a form, and they were asking for preferred pronouns. And she just wrote in, uh, we don't participate in the preferred pronoun movement. That's right. You know, <laughs> I mean, you know, so I, I think that Christians are right to, to resist that because that too is people trying to impose an ideology and that, that really transgresses what Christians hold to be pretty dear and central to our faith. That is that we're created as male and female in God's image. And we want our speech to reflect that truth. Which gets the, to the denial here in Article 11. It says, We deny any obligation to speak in such a way that dishonors God's design of his image bearers as male and female. That's really what we're doing when we're, we're speaking something, we're saying something that does not comport with God's design. We're really doing dishonor to, to God's design, and we're really not serving that person. We're not loving that person 
as we ought. We should speak the truth in love. You know, one analogy I frequently use is the analogy of, of anorexia. I think that this, um, this is understandable uh, if you kind of remove it from the particular issue and you look at this, this other example. You know, someone set is struggling with anorexia. They think that they're, you know, they're, they're too big, they're, they're too fat. And so therefore they're going to take actions um, that are actually harmful to their, uh, to their body, to their health. And if, if someone were to present that identity to me, and I love that person, I'm going to do everything I can to affirm their bodily health, not to affirm them in this fiction. Um, and I think th- those are the kinds of things, you know, my, I have five kids. Um, but in that, you're affirming the truth. Exactly. Right? It, even if they don't recognize it as the truth. You're, you're affirming the truth because that's an objective reality. Yes. Right? And that, that's your reference point. Your reference point is not just an unconditional affirmation of what they want, but of what's good for them. Exactly. And that's that gets to the, what you spoke to earlier is the world's definition of love being affirmation. In order for me to love this person, I have to just affirm that what they want to do is the right thing. And that just is so destructive. And so uh, it's the antithesis of what the Bible presents as love. I was going to say it with my five kids. If my kids want us play in the street as a loving father, I don't just say, yes, please go do that because that's what you want to do. That's going to make you happy. That would be the opposite of loving as a father. I need to tell them, no, that's not good for you. I want to do what's best for you. I want to care for you. And so therefore, I'm going to tell them no, and I'm not going to just affirm that this is something that they should or ought to want to do. Amen. Resources like the CBMW podcast are made possible by generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider giving at cbmw.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening.